From 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Lake Effect. I'm Joy Powers. Today, we'll look back on the big political stories from the year and what's ahead in the 2024 election year. We'll check out some of the best holiday bars in Milwaukee and explore their menus of hot and cold drinks. If the theory that drinking hot things in the summer cools you down, or eating hot foods, spicy foods, cools you down, maybe eating, <laughs> drinking ice cream drinks in the winter warms you up. Plus, we'll help you plan a winter ski trip in wandering Wisconsin. Skiing is such a, it's a great sport. It, it really is. It's something that is cherished by families and generations. We often see, you know, parents and grandparents and third generations of kids out on our slopes every day. All of that is coming up on Lake Effect. But first, here are today's headlines. This is Lake Effect from 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. I'm Joy Powers, and thank you so much for joining us. If you're looking for some last-minute holiday gifts, we've got a list of books from Boswell Book Company coming up later in the show. But first, we'll take a look back on the big political stories from the year, including things that are ongoing, like abortion rights and redistricting in Wisconsin. We'll also look at the shared revenue plan and the sales tax increase that's coming in the new year. Here's WUWM's Chuck Quirmbach, standing in for Mayan Silver with Capital Notes. From Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes. We break down the big political news affecting Wisconsin. I'm Chuck Quirmbach, filling in for Mayan Silver, speaking with J.R. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com. Here's our latest conversation. Well, hi, J.R. It's been an active year. There wasn't a presidential race here, but plenty of news from the state capitol, and a lot of it involved figures from the Milwaukee area. Uh, let's start with Milwaukee County Judge, former Janet Protasewicz, being elected to the state Supreme Court. Uh, remind us how that came about and maybe some ongoing impacts of Protosei what's being on the bench. Well, you know, first there was the retirement of Pat Rogensack, which opened this opportunity for liberals to flip the majority of the court for the first time in 15 years. There was, oh, some $56 million in spending that I tracked the course of that, that campaign. Probably more was spent. And then there was a seismic shift in the court, which altered the landscape for Wisconsin politics in general. Um, it's a huge huge impact for Democrats on a number of fronts. One, you've got the redistricting lawsuit, which could change the maps that we have in Wisconsin. That was huge. And two, think about it. Uh, the elections commission we have in Wisconsin, which is supposed to oversee in this election, it's been somewhat dysfunctional lately, often ties 3-3. And when that body deadlocks, oftentimes you're going to go to the courts to see how the election should be run. And you now have a solid little majority in the Supreme Court of Wisconsin as the ultimate arbiter of how elections should be run if there are challenges to election laws. So it's a, it's a huge shift, both politically and uh, electorally in Wisconsin. Also, uh, potential impact on the issue of abortion rights. Oh, huge. So obviously we saw a decision come out from a Dane County judge, uh, which she found that this 1849 law didn't apply to abortion. In her mind, it was actually about feticide, so there's no ban on consensual abortions. And uh, it does leave in effect the things like the 2015 law, which limits abortions after 20 weeks to before 20 weeks of pregnancy. But that case is going to go to the Supreme Court eventually, we think. Uh, Sheboygan County D.A. Patrol Ormansky, one of the uh, defendants, has indicated he's going to appeal. That process could take a while, though. You know, First, you got to pick which appeals court to go to outside the 4th District where the circuit court case is heard. 
then you got a question of will the appeals court get a chance to weigh in or will there be a motion to move it to the Supreme Court directly? And you know, once it gets there, I mean, the going bet in Madison is that the court will somehow find a way to overturn that law. Whether they agree with the Dane County judge doesn't apply to central abortions or rules that are not enforceable for another reason. But there's a going bet that that's going to end up being a, a case that they win for abortion rights advocates when it's all said and done. The Milwaukee influence on state news continued with the shared revenue issue. We finally got a statewide change in shared revenue, uh, but it will also mean some higher sales taxes in the city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County, right? Yeah, it's fascinating. If you go back a year or two and ask a bunch of people on the state capitol, do you think Republicans will ever allow Milwaukee city and county to increase the sales tax? They'd say no. That was a a non-starter. But really momentum built end of kind of 2022 early this year to do something to address shared revenue not just for milwaukee but for everybody but especially for milwaukee because both the city and county were staring at a fiscal cliff essentially their pension costs were such that it was going to cause all kinds of bad things to happen and you got republicans to really help lead the way to drive that new sales tax and to do something for the entire state it's really a fascinating change how that came about now it came at a price for Milwaukee, right? Republicans made sure to put into that bill a number of priorities for them that limit various efforts by the city and county, see how they deal with those challenges going forward. But financially, at least, it was a huge win for the city and the county. Yeah, one of those changes was the Fire and Police Commission in Milwaukee seemingly having less clout. Is that right? Yeah. You, basically, what Republicans saw was, okay, we're going to give this financial boom to the city and county, but in return, we want to get a bunch of stuff done that we want done. They, Republicans are not going to win local race in Milwaukee anytime soon, but they use this bill as leverage to enforce changes that they wanted to see. Let's say a lot of Republicans represent suburban areas. Their constituents are worried about crime in Milwaukee. This is a way for Republicans to try and send a message to Milwaukee about crime and how they want to address it going forward. Well, next up to the plate, and I don't think either of us have a favorite uh, walk-up music, do we? But um... Uh, Next up to the plate uh, would be the uh, legislative and governor's action on stadium maintenance, really, for the next 27 years. That was a big deal as well. Oh, absolutely. And and really, Milwaukee County and city got this kind of financial boost with the sales tax stuff. This package ended up being actually pretty decent for them. So remember, go back. It first came about because Governor Evers uh, proposed in the budget taking $290 million of our surplus as a state investing it and using the proceeds off of that to keep the brewers in town for extra 13 years. The lease runs out in 2030, keeps a 2043. Well, Republican lawmakers are not usually happy to allow Evers to drive the discussions. They want to take his idea and make it in their minds better. They went for this deal through 2050. And one of the big hangups was they wanted Republicans, they wanted to see a local body. They wanted to see the city and county have a financial commitment to the stadium issue was people kept saying, look, you just gave these guys these tools to right the ship financially to get off from the burden with um, the pensions. Now you're going to ask them for a financial commitment every year going forward for through 2050. That's a tough sell. And in the end, what they did was they Republicans got their financial commitment, but the state's kind of paying for it. What I mean by that is when local governments impose a sales tax, it's collected by the state, Department of Revenue. Private revenue then charges a fee to those governments to send the money back to them to be used. They drop the fee, our revenue charges, 
uh, not just to Milwaukee County and the city, but to everybody around the state as part of this deal. It, it basically helps the county and city pay for that financial local commitment, and it helped as a selling point statewide to say, look, everybody benefits. Every county that has a sales tax, which is most of them, they're going to keep more of that money going forward because of the deal. So for Republicans, it's kind of a win-win. More to come on that issue with the uh, weatherization issue, the actual signing of a lease uh, for the brewers in the state, but there's a chance I could buy you a beer at the game in 2045. There is. We'll see how good they are, uh, how big the payroll is come 2045. But yeah, there's definitely uh, some opportunities for them to stay. One of the big questions of this whole thing was, or one of the issues that came up was the brewers really didn't play this game very well. They did not lobby the game. I mean, I'm not trying to knock your lobbyists individually, but PR-wise, I mean, think about it. Um, the owner of the Brewers, the main owner, Mark Astasio, bought a stake in a soccer team over in Europe in the middle of all this stuff. A minority stake owner sold his house in California, put it up for like for how many millions of dollars. There are all kinds of things PR-wise that made the Brewers seem tone deaf about, look, they're asking to text us for a whole lot of money, and you're doing this. And that was the best way to go about things. But in the end, lawmakers and the governor side is just it's better to keep them it's cheap, cheaper to keep them as a phrase you hear often but it was better for the state to keep them in in wisconsin and it's also kind of the price of, of having professional sports anymore if you look around the country you see over and over again examples where professional teams owned by very wealthy people go to the public and say we need money to stay here and the, the public keeps forking it over well, one more baseball metaphor from batting from the right side of the plate, if you will, are Robin Voss of Racine County, Devin Lemmehue, Oostberg, and Sheboygan County. We're going to uh, you know, consider them southeastern Wisconsin folks. They had a pretty good year as well, didn't they, in the political realm? Yeah, I mean, they, yes, but they have a lot of uncertainty ahead. They had uncertainty of those maps, that redistricting lawsuit. If, if the Supreme Court of Wisconsin comes down and throws out those maps, it creates all kinds of uncertainty for Republicans. They've enjoyed a huge advantage for the last dozen years with maps that they drew that really kind of solidified their hold on the state power balance in the legislature. If those maps go away, it could be significantly different. But they also got a whole host of priorities in the budget. There's always give and take. Robin Voss got a big win with his agreement with the University of Wisconsin system, or sorry, the Universities of Wisconsin over curtailing DEI in exchange for additional funding. It uh, looks like the University the Board of Regents kind of caved to Voss in that process. You know, Lemahue can point to things that he got. And this year he got through a, the alcohol bill that he was really pushing along with Robin Voss over some concerns from his own numbers. He shepherded through the Brewers bill, again, with Republicans kind of uneasy about it. So he found a way to get some things done in a very difficult chamber to operate at times. The state of the Wisconsin Election Commission is, uh, again, rocky. There's still Republican pressure on the leader of the agency, Megan Wolf. Uh, now there's pressure on one of the Republican members, Bob Spindell from Milwaukee County, uh, to step down. Uh, where are things at with the uh, administration of elections in Wisconsin? Oh, it's a little bit of a mess. You know, the commission is still operating, but here's an example of things that didn't go well for Robin Voss and Devin Lemahieu this year. Lemahieu tried to fire Megan Wolf after she refused to step down. He's been stymied by court system. Uh, Robin Voss is facing a, a group that's putting up a six-figure ad buy, pressuring him to go forward with impeaching Megan Wolf or be replaced through a primary or through a recall. So that's not so great for them. Um, the Elections Commission itself is split constantly, 3-3 three, three on things. So that causes some issues. 
And then you have kind of the result of that is the Supreme Court of Wisconsin, again, could be the one that makes a lot of decisions about election administration in Wisconsin because we're going to go to court often uh, in this process. And so it's going to be interesting to watch how these things play out. Will there be a lot of lawsuits about the election in Wisconsin in 2024? We've got a bunch pending right now over absentee balloting, uh, drop boxes, trying to overturn a, a prior court ruling. There's all kinds of interesting stuff going on. The election administration, ultimately, it could be the Wisconsin Supreme Court that, again, rules how things run in the state. Well, Jr., we're glad to have sent you a lot of news from the Milwaukee area to cover out there. It's uh, a little gift from us to you. Oh, I appreciate it. It's never dull around here. Have a good rest of 23 and on into 2024. Hey, thanks. You too. That was J.R. Ross of Wispolitics.com speaking with me, WUWM's Chuck Quirmbach. Listen for our segments every Monday and check out the Capital Notes podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As the holidays draw closer, you might have been looking for an idea of what to give the readers in your life. Well, here at Lake Effect, we have our own annual books-to-gift conversation. We have two of Boswell Book Company's book buyers in studio, Jason Kennedy, who has book recommendations for adults, and Jen Steele, who specializes in children's books. They join Lake Effect's Audrey Nowakowski. So I know it's a very busy time at Boswell Book Company, so thanks for taking the time to come in. And we're going to go through some of your top books that you think would make for good gifts from this year. But before we get into your official choices, are there any trends that you noticed this past year, whether it's in subjects or themes that stuck out to you? Well, I did notice on the kids' side uh, a lot of big names came out with uh, some new books, not just Rick Riordan with the uh, volume six of Percy Jackson. We have uh, Brian Selznick with a new book, uh, Chrisetta Cowell, who did How to Train Your Dragon, uh, Christopher Paolini, as well as uh, 10th anniversary editions for Fangirl, Cruel Prince, Tales of Despero, which is a beautiful package, lovely story. And trends I'm noticing more interest in young adult graphic novels, especially with Heartstopper and the show. Definitely, that's on the rise. Now, Jason, you introduced a new term to me when it comes to trends. It's called romanticy. Can you explain that? Yeah, well, we know that romance has really blossomed in the last few years, and fantasy has been coming along. And now a lot of the writers who wrote in romance or wrote in fantasy have been kind of merging the two together. So we have a whole new genre that has come up in this last year, year and a half, it's been trending. And I would say that it's not slowing down. It's only getting bigger. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would think that uh, The Fourth Wing and Iron Flame are what, the number one and two book on the New York Times bestseller, the, the, that's the perfect take for romanticy. Gotcha. Um, and I don't, so I don't think that's going to end anytime soon. It's, it's an interesting trend. It's at least a fun trend. The other trends out there are, can be a little darker and disturbing because they deal with the real world. And it's, right. Yeah. Want to escape that when you go to yes, a bookstore most of the time. Absolutely. You know? um, so when it comes to your top picks, we have stuff kind of all across the map for various ages. And Jason, we're going to start with you. 
You have a book called The Globe Makers, and it's kind of the combo of a history and memoir. Yeah, um, it's by Peter Bellerby. And the memoir part is he was sitting around, I think it was 2008, and he was trying to come up with uh, something to buy his dad. And his dad is hard to please. His dad has been disappointed in his gifts in the past, uh, so much so that Peter had stopped buying gifts for the most part. So he decided he wanted to get him a globe, but not any globe, because those are pretty much mass produced. They're not really that accurate or interesting. He even went to auction houses. He's like, but those are fragile. So he's, he just sat down and thought, well, how hard can it be? You know, he got a couple of friends. I'll just wing it and make one. I'll just wing it and make <laughs> one. And well, he wanted to make two. And then he ended up trying to make a third one to pay his one friend for all the help without having to give him money. Uh, <laughs> but... What he learned along the way is the history of globe making through time, why it was important, what's so interesting about it. It's, I mean, it's literally a gorgeous piece of art. And he now, you know, owns his own business that is putting out these globes, different globes, different sizes, different kinds of maps, you know, focusing on all kinds. It's just, they're just gorgeous. And so they put out this book, The Globe Makers, and um, it's absolutely one of my favorite like books of the season. It is, it is a treat to read. He's funny, and very knowledgeable. You will leave this understanding, globe making, map making, what the differences are, and 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 just you know have a really good time. Yeah, you're gonna want to go out and buy a globe. <laughs> In a subject most people probably wouldn't have thought of, you know, until coming across that book. Mm-hmm. All right, and uh, we're going to scale out. We're going to go from the globe to Mars. You have a couple of books that center around Mars. The first is called Girlfriend on Mars, and this is a fiction book. Yeah, this is a fiction book. This is written by Deborah Willis. Uh, She's a Canadian author. This book is about a couple, a boyfriend who kind of searching for his role in life. They sell marijuana out of their apartment, kind of high end. They're nervous about it becoming legal because it kind of, you know, takes out their business. Girlfriend is, you know, just not, she's just not happy. Uh, her name is Amber, and she decides that she's going to join a reality TV show to be one of the first people on Mars. They're sending two. She leaves without really explaining anything to him. He is pining for her. Um, he thinks she's going to come back. He watches the reality TV show. He becomes a part of the reality TV show when she's talking about him on the reality show, TV show about not being not being the one. And, you know, no spoilers here, but it's pretty much uh, hinted at from the beginning. She does get to be one of two people to go to Mars. And that, you know, is probably not a good thing, just sending two people. So it's funny. It's interesting. The relationships get complicated. And, yeah, it's just, it's a lot of fun. This is Audrey Nowakowski on Lake Effect, and we're here with Jason and Jen from Boswell Book Company, and they're sharing their 2023 books to gift. All right, so, Jen, we're going to shift gears to children's books, and we have a lovely local author. That's your first book recommendation for a book called Red and Green. Yes, Red and Green by Lois Ehlert. Uh, This is her final project. She had assembled everything before passing and her editor the publisher they finished the project and I think it's a lovely tribute to her it has her style 
she's just all over on each page, little cutouts. Uh, it's a perfect gift. It's, it's a great little Christmas book. It's a retelling of the night before Christmas. It's a, a lot of oh, fun. Nice. Ages uh, up to three. Yeah. Um, we always love her books and her style is so distinct, especially the visuals, right? Yes. Very beloved here. Um, next up, we have a book by someone people may be familiar with the name, Amanda Gorman, and it's also illustrated by Christian Robinson. It's called Something Someday. Yes, this is a picture book for ages four and up, and it shows readers that they have the power to make a change in their community. I love the illustrations by anything Christian Robinson does. And this shows a boy, he's walking down the street and he sees trash. And he's told it's not our problem. Somebody else will take it up. And he just keeps noticing all the litter. And he makes a change. He just takes one step and he plants a little garden in the neighborhood. And then people see what he's doing and they come and they help him create this beautiful garden and make, make your community a better place. How do you find the writing? Because Amanda Gorman is a poet, right? She is. It's beautiful, and it's her style. It has a lovely, a lovely verse to it. It's, it's a great read-aloud storybook. Perfect. Now, next up, Jason, we're going to go into the history lens in a book called The World. Yeah, The World. It's written by Simon Seberg Montefiore, and it's a doorstopper of a book. I think it's around 1,200 pages. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) but the reason I love I've and I've loved a lot of his books. Uh, You know, he had the Romanovs, which we actually had him as an event here for. Um, He has a very conversational tone when he's writing, paired with the exhaustive research that he does. And what this book does that I find fascinating is he starts off at the beginning of human history, written human history, and looks at the family unit. And usually the family unit that is in power, you know, because they're the ones that are going to leave the most uh, writing behind. And he looks at that and, and how that unit moves through the centuries. It can be bloody. It can be kind of weird, you know, selling your sister off or, you know, or mm-hmm. backstabbing your brother for the throne. But it starts from the Persians and it goes all well before the Persians, Assyrians. Um, and then it goes all the way up to like Gore and Bush, and so he pushes That's an it. Extensive, yeah, he pushes timeline. it all the way through the 20th century. Yeah. and you know, you don't. It is a doorstopper of a book, but you don't have to read it all in one go. You know, right. I read it in sections as the year went on, and it really will open your eyes to where the power lies in the world, and how these families can shape the world and the direction that humanity goes. It's it's a really good book. All right. So, Jen, next up, we have a book called The Eyes and the Impossible. Yes, this is my uh, buyer's pick for the year, The Eyes and the Impossible by Dave Eggers. And looks gorgeous. Yes. Just to start. (laughs) I would love to give a shout out to McSweeney's for their special edition. It's wood bound with gold edges. Uh, There is another edition by Random House. The illustrations in here are the same, and the illustrator is Sean Harris, who collaborates with Dave Eggers and McSweeney's. What is really cool about this, they're all classical paintings, and what the illustrator did was put the main character in each one. I just, I want them to have prints. I want to put some of these up. Uh, It's gorgeous. 
This is a middle grade novel, but really it's for all ages, and I recommend everyone to read this. It definitely is one of my favorites, and it's told from the point of view of Johannes, a free dog in a huge public park. And at the beginning of the book, Dave Edgers points out to the readers that no animals symbolize people. Here, dogs are dogs, goats are goats, and bison, bison. (laughs) (laughs) That's my pick for the year. I love it. So instead of a hero's journey, it's a dog hero's journey? Absolutely. I like that. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I love that. All right. And next up, we have Chinese Menu by Grace Lin. Yes, this is a history. It's not a cookbook. It's a history and folklore on Chinese foods. It's for ages eight and up. And the book is set up like a menu. So you have different courses. You can read it in any order. I went and I looked up my favorite dishes. So next time I have Mapo Tofu, I'm going to think of the folklore in here. Uh, She does include one recipe her favorite dish uh, that her mother would make at the end of the book, which is very sweet, and um, how to use chopsticks. It's a great history for anybody who's interested in Chinese food, American Chinese food. And now, Jason, to wrap us up, you have an actual cookbook here. Um, it's called Start Here. Start Here by uh, Sola Alawile. She is absolutely, this is absolutely one of my favorite cookbooks of the season. Uh, the writing in it, I mean, outside of the recipes, the writing in it is humorous. She's a bit self-deprecating, which I don't think she needs to be uh, because she's brilliant. This cookbook, you can go from beginners all the way through uh, more experienced cooks in the kitchen. She explains all the the necessary things you need. She, She talks about what it means to taste your food and how often you should be tasting it, what it means to season it. She talks about, like, several different ways to make eggs. Her goal is, I think, to get you to the point where you're comfortable winging your own recipes. When you're done with this book, you should be able to start creating your own recipes or taking recipes and understanding the basics to make it more what you want. Because there's more than one way to cook an egg, as they say. Right, right. But it is... How to get comfortable, right? How to get comfortable. Confident and comfortable in the kitchen. Yeah, and and she does it in such a way. She, I mean, the recipes in here, while I haven't cooked any, I've watched her cook a lot of them online, I I would say that uh, she's setting you up to succeed, to learn, to win, and to enjoy really good food. It's a fun cookbook. You know, I think this is good for anybody in your family who has either been cooking for years or is just picking up a spatula now. That's great. Well, there's lots to choose from here and, of course, so many more books that we didn't have time to talk about. But Jason and Jen, I want to thank you both so much for sharing your list for 2023 today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Jason Kennedy is the adult book buyer and general manager of Boswell Book Company. Jen Steele is Boswell's children's book buyer. They both joined Lake Effect's Audrey Nowakowski for our annual Books to Gift conversation. You can find their full book recommendation list at wuwm.com. And did you know you can listen to Lake Effect as a podcast? Search for Lake Effect wherever you get your podcasts to download and listen on demand. You can also follow WUWM on Instagram. 
where you'll find videos and pictures from news stories and lake effect interviews. In about 15 minutes, we'll help you plan a ski trip to the Wausau area in Wandering, Wisconsin. But first, we'll check out some of the best places to grab a holiday cocktail in Milwaukee. That's coming up next on Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. listening to Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM. I'm Joy Powers. The holiday season has looked a bit different this year, as the relatively warm weather has made Milwaukee look less like a winter wonderland than it usually would. But if you're hoping to get into the holiday spirit, there are plenty of places to go in the city and get a nice seasonal cocktail. Lori Frederick is the dining editor for On Milwaukee. She joins me now to share her favorite spots to grab a holiday drink. Lori, thank you so much for being here on Lake Effect. Always a pleasure, Joy. So it is the holiday season, and a lot of us are looking for a great spot to grab a cocktail. Uh, There are a variety of places in town that really do the holidays right. Uh, The first one that we're going to talk about is uh, one of my favorite bars in town. I think a lot of people feel this way. At Random. Yeah. At Random, you know, has its place in the classic arena, you know, for for bars in town, um, right along with Bryant's. And you can go and have an At Random experience, you know, classic cocktails there. But they also have, they also now have transformed the back area of what used to be a yard into more of a patio space, which they've transformed into the magic forest. So you'll find live Christmas trees all decorated up. It's very, very festive. There are little heated huts where you can, you know, enjoy enjoy drinks with a family <laughs> or friends without having to freeze, you know. Um, there's hot drinks, there's cold drinks, there's ice cream drinks if you want to, you know. If the theory that drinking hot things in the summer cools you down or eating hot foods, spicy foods, cools you down, maybe eating <laughs> drinking ice cream drinks in the winter warms you up. I don't know. Nonetheless, fun spot to go. For the experience as well as the, as well as the cocktails. Well, and uh, speaking of classic Milwaukee bars, uh, the next one also a classic. I believe has the same owners these days. Correct. Bryant's. Yes, Bryant's. Both are owned by John Dye, who is a curator of old bars. Um, he has made it his life mission to keep things going. Um, that deserve to be acknowledged. Um, all the mid-century modern bars <laughs> belong to John Dye, it seems. Um, but Bryant's is special around the holidays for a couple of reasons. Um, they have a classic punch that has been served way, way, way back in history. Um, John doesn't even know quite how far it goes, but every year it's a, it's the same recipe. Every year they have a ceremonial tasting um, <laughs> of this holiday punch. So you can grab a glass of holiday punch, or if you would prefer a classic, for sure in Wisconsin, a classic cocktail for the holidays is the Tom and Jerry. And there are very few places that make their own these days. There are a lot of mixes on the market that you can use to shortcut it. Um, but they have a full Tom and Jerry room that is dedicated to this cocktail. So they make a round of batter, which is the start to the cocktail, and they serve Thursday through Saturday throughout the holiday season from 5 to 11 or until the batter runs out. So it's an experience that you'll want. You can also get commemorative mugs 
Um, so it's one of those things where there are there are folks who've collected, you know, at least ten years of these mugs. I think. Wow. At this point. Uh, the next bar that we're going to talk about, actually, I, I should say, a number of these are pretty classic bars. They are. They are. Uh, this we're next starting one... classic. I'm kind of getting a little bit more modern, <laughs> kind of more as we more, go. Yeah, new. Uh, but Von Trier, if you haven't been to Von Trier, it is just a really fun spot. I love looking at uh, the the paintings on the walls. Just the very like old. German vibe yes, in like there. A <laughs> um, yes. And and Von Trier has a really long, interesting history. It has been so many things. But Von Trier is what most people here know because they've been around for oh, I'm gonna be wrong if I if I make a guess <laughs> okay. here. Um, but for just long enough that they are they're an East Side staple. I'm very classic, old school, you know. They're also long known for their hot drinks. They probably have a list of what you would consider to be a toddy. Like more than almost any in the city, so you can always be assured of finding a warm drink there, whether it's an Irish, a simple Irish coffee or something more more interesting. I'm pretty sure a lot of these they've just made up themselves, um, but they're classic every year. They also are another place that makes a Tom and Jerry from scratch. So if you're craving that, you happen to be on the east side instead of near Bryant's, um, definitely another option. And always cozy, and these places are all cozy, decorated for the holidays. So. Well, and I, I think Elsa's, uh, the next bar that we're going to talk about, and bar is an interesting word there, right? But <laughs> right, <laughs> the next right. place that we're going to talk about also has a, a pretty warm vibe, a pretty inviting vibe. Yeah, it's it's a little bit more, you know, 19, I guess 1980s and 90s modern. You know, the vibe is very glass. It's a little bit sh- kind of downtown chic. Um, and they do have, you know, they do have a bar. Um, they're probably best known for their martinis since I came about in that era. Um, but they also run the holidays. Every year they do a Christmas tree that is created by an artist. And sometimes it's a political statement. Um, sometimes it's simply kind of an artistic statement on the world. Um, I actually haven't seen, I'm a little I'm a little embarrassed, I haven't seen the one yet this year. <laughs> but it's always like, it's always, it's kind of in my, my list of things to do to go check out the tree. So you could go there. They are known for their hot buttered rum. And interestingly, but not surprising, they also make their own Tom and Jerry's. So they're one they're one of four places in town that I know for a fact um, still have a recipe and do that. So getting even more modern, uh, this is, I believe, a relatively new bar. Uh, it's inside of Hotel Metro. And I, I will say... It, it takes some finding. You're, you're not going to be on the street and, and going, oh, let's just pop into this bar. You have to do a little digging to get to Pufferfish. You do. You do. Um, and that's because the seventh floor rooftop at Hotel Metro has always been kind of a destination. You, you, you need to go off on the sixth floor to get to the seventh floor. Then you need to take a little bit of a, like a couple of half stairwells, you know, to get up. So it just it sort of increases the charm, especially for Pufferfish, which began as a pop-up on the patio at Lost Whale in Bayview, and then continued on its life as a pop-up on the rooftop at Hotel Metro, and is now actually a permanent resident on that seventh-floor rooftop. And there's an indoor and an outdoor component. So during the summer, it's a completely tropical oasis for tropical drinks and, and views, really, of the city. They even have a little bit of a like a Hawaiian-inspired menu that's served up by Agis, which is the restaurant on the ground floor. And right now they are doing, um, some folks have probably heard of the Miracle Pop-Ups. 
And this is a holiday pop-up that was um, started by bartenders. There is always a charitable component to it. But it's really bars across the nation celebrate Christmas by having over-the-top decor for the miracle pop-ups. And we're kind of lucky. There aren't many markets that get both a miracle pop-up and a sip and Santa pop-up. But the sip and Santa pop-up is kind of like the tiki tropical version of the miracle pop-up. So Pufferfish is hosting the sip and Santa pop-up, which is kind of like if you envision Santa trading out his sleigh for a surfboard, that's sort of the vibe. So it's kind of a more fun, upbeat place, but definitely it'll be, they have holiday cocktails or at least named <laughs> holiday cocktails, um, and plenty of, I don't know, fun, maybe more tropical-inspired Christmas decor. Well, the next spot that we're going to talk about is also a pop-up of sorts, but I would say it's it's very much on the other side of that, not tropical, hardcore Christmas. <laughs> hardcore Christmas. Um, yes, if you consider Elf... <laughs> To be, you know, among a favorite movie, you will get a kick out of this pop-up. Um, the Elf film turns 20 this year. Um, so it, it's a popular it's a popular theme for pop-ups. There are a few bars and, and places doing it this year. But Lost Whale has done this theme for a few years, and every year it gets just a little bit better. Every drink is named after um, a scene in the movie. And... They've pretty much, I think, at this point, picked up on every reference to food in the movie in its entirety and somehow incorporated it as an element in a cocktail. So from a from a culinary standpoint, it's a really it's an interesting and well thought out concept. It's also just over the top, decked out as you would find, you know, the elf movie. So I don't know. Folks who are into that will identify all sorts of fun things about it. People are also welcome to dress up, which Makes it kind of a fun time, especially later in the evening. The main food combo that comes to mind from that film is spaghetti Spaghetti. and maple syrup. (laughs) Spaghetti and maple syrup. So I presume that's half the cocktails. Um, There is a a cocktail (laughs) with maple syrup. um, And I believe that the spaghetti takes the form of um, red licorice whips. So Decidedly better. Creativity. Uh, the final bar that we're going to talk about, this is one of my favorite bars in the city. Uh, I find this like a really cozy spot. It's in a neighborhood that I love, Walker's Point. Um, and they're also doing a pop-up, uh, one that you just described, uh, the Miracle pop-up. And this is a Tin Window. Tin, yeah, Tin Window. And Tin Window has had the Miracle pop-up. It might be as many as four or five years now, but Miracle has renewed their contract, has come back every year. I think they had one year during the pandemic where they didn't host the pop-up, understandably. And this year, the owners said that they were back with the Miracle pop-up and way over the top better. Um, A colleague of mine described it. She walked past not so long ago and said, based on the light that's emanating from the windows, I don't even know if I can go in. <laughs> She's like, it's so bright. So um, definitely expect over-the-top Christmas decor. The Miracle pop-ups always have really, really great Christmassy cocktails. Um, so you get all of those different spice blends that remind you of the holidays um, incorporated in both hot and cold drinks. All right. Well, a lot of great places to check out during the holidays uh, and outside of the holidays, but right now, yes. especially special. la 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 Well, Lori, thank you so much for joining us here on Like Effect. And thank you, and Happy New Year. 
Lori Frederick is the dining editor for On Milwaukee and a regular contributor to Lake Effect. Wisconsin has a lot of winter activities, but two of the most popular are downhill skiing and snowboarding. We'll tell you about a place in Wisconsin that's already open for business next on Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. is Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM. I'm Joy Powers. There are many winter activities to enjoy in the colder months, but one that can be turned into an entire getaway is a ski trip. Granite Peak Ski Area near Wausau has some of the best ski terrain in the state, and they're already open for business for the season. To help you plan a trip to the ski area and to find out what else you can enjoy on a trip to the Wausau area, Lake Effect's Becky Mortensen is joined by Greg Fisher from the Granite Peak Ski Area and Amanda Weibel from Travel Wisconsin. When I think of popular skiing destinations, places like Colorado come to mind, but I was surprised to learn that Wisconsin has just as many ski hills as they do in Colorado. So to start, Amanda, can you just talk about Wisconsin as a skiing or snowboarding destination? You're exactly right, Becky. I think a lot of people find it unexpected to learn how great of a downhill destination Wisconsin really is. Wisconsin boasts 31 different ski resorts, uh, which, as you mentioned, ties Colorado, according to data compiled by the National Ski Areas Association. So you really don't have to go far to find some high-quality skiing and snowboarding options. We have them right here in Wisconsin. And the hills aren't concentrated in one part of the state. You're going to find them spread all around Wisconsin. A great resource that Travel Wisconsin has available for skiing and snowboarding is the Wisconsin Snow Report. This report is an interactive map that details the snow conditions at downhill skiing and snowboarding hills, as well as some other winter activities like cross-country skiing. It's also really popular for snowmobiling. And when you click into a ski hill resort, you can learn all kinds of detailed information, like how many runs are open, what amenities are available, such as ski school and night skiing. But you can also round out that trip. You can easily find recommendations for nearby restaurants, hotels, and activities to add to make it a really memorable winter getaway. You can find all that information on TravelWisconsin.com slash snow report. Greg, we've had a few flakes so far this winter, but definitely not enough for downhill skiing or snowboarding. But I understand you're already open for the season and welcoming guests to the slopes. Tell me why you all open so early in the season and how you make that happen. Yeah, so we have one of the most powerful snowmaking systems in the state here at Granite Peak. We have every single one of our trails is lined with snowmaking equipment, uh, ranging from giant tower fan guns to low low E tower guns, which we can produce snow at a pretty high rate. So we we started our snowmaking campaign back in November. Um, and we were able to get our slopes open on December 1st for the, uh, the 23-24 ski season. Tell me a bit about the ski area. What are the runs like? What could people expect on a visit? We're on Rib Mountain, which is the second highest peak in the state of Wisconsin. We have about 700 vertical feet of, of terrain. Here at Granite Peak, you'll find a wide variety of beginner slopes all the way up to 
you know, expert black diamond and double black diamond trails. Our resort is steep um, at the top. You know, a lot of our runs off of the top are black diamond and then they mellow out as you come down the hill. Um, so we, we have uh, great beginner terrain off of our Blitzen and Santa lips, which offer, you know, green trails as well as a beginner terrain park, which is very popular called the Grom Park. And off of our Comet lift, which is a six pack chairlift, um, you can find blues and blacks. It's, it's really a, a wide variety. And, and as soon as we open every year, we always open up with beginner terrain and then expert terrain uh, on day one, as well as a terrain park. Right. As you said, Granite Peak is some of the best skiing terrain in the state, but that's not the only thing that makes your ski hill stand out. Can you talk a bit about the live music and the other events that you do? Yeah, so we have live music every Saturday. We have a local musician by the name of Brad Emanuel who plays um, every Saturday in, in our historic chalet. Um, it's called the Historic because it, it, it dates back to the 1930s. Um, it is a beautiful stone building that over time has received some upgrades to it, but it is a fantastic little chalet that people really enjoy. It looks out on the slopes. Um, you know, we have these wonderful family festivals throughout the course of the year. We have one in December, and then we have one in February and March, in which uh, families can come out, enjoy a lot of added value to, to their visits, such as fireworks on Saturday nights. We do s'mores for the kids out on the historic deck, um, torchlight parade on New Year's Eve, and uh, it, it, it's a lot of fun. And, and you know, the local community, uh, having Wausau in our backyard, you know, just five minutes uh, from from Granite Peak is, is really a blessing that uh, we tout quite a bit because they can find everything from Broadway shows over at the Grand Theater to, to restaurants and, and bars that are that are really unique and, and a lot of fun and can offer a great vacation for, for those who are, who are staying multiple days. Right. So as you mentioned, the ski area is not far from Wausau. So Amanda, if people don't want to spend the entire trip on the slopes, what are some other things people could do on a visit to the area? There are plenty of ways to warm up indoors while you're in the Wausau area as well. Greg mentioned the Grand Theater. That's such a great option. It's an iconic performance venue in downtown. It's been around for nearly 100 years. And throughout the winter, they have a fantastic schedule of local and touring musicians, plays, and performance happening. So check out that schedule for something that will align with your skiing and snowboarding trip. I'd also suggest checking out Evolutions in Design for some shopping and a super unique visual experience in and of itself. It's a flower shop as well as a home accessory store, and they have such artful displays for all of their goods across multiple rooms. They actually change the store on a bi-weekly basis. So every time you're in the Wausau area, you're going to want to come back and check it out to see what's new and different. One pro tip is to visit the second floor of the shop. It's actually in a former residential unit. So they've really cleverly converted the floor space and you can find goods displayed in the former kitchen, on the countertops, and even in the bathtub. It's super unique. For anyone traveling with kids, another idea is to check out the Children's Imaginarium. It's a STEM-focused children's museum that just opened in Wausau, and they have 10,000 square feet of great interactive exhibits, so it's sure to keep the kids hands-on and, and engaged for hours. And are there any restaurants you'd recommend people check out in the Wausau area? 
One place I definitely recommend visiting is the Velveteen Plum. It's the first rooftop restaurant and bar in the Wausau area, and it has these fantastic sweeping views of Granite Peak and Rib Mountain right from the restaurant. But the food is also going to leave you really impressed. The Velveteen Plum prepares dishes inspired by bold Latin flavors. So you can start out your dinner with one of their amazing appetizers like the adobo fries or the chimichurri bread. And for the main meal, you can choose from a mix of meat, seafood, or vegetarian options. They all are going to feature inspired ingredients and this great fusion of flavors. For a cozy diner style option, make sure to stop at the Mint Cafe. It's right in the heart of downtown and it's also a must visit destination in Wausau. They have been serving the community since 1888. And their long history is reflected in the memorabilia that lines the walls of the restaurant. They have photos of famous visitors that have stopped in over the decades. Uh, for example, comedian Jim Belushi, who actually stopped after a performance at the Grand Theater, and many, many more. They open early for breakfast and have a large selection of all of your favorites, or you can visit for lunch or dinner, and you can enjoy the hearty entrees, their comforting sandwiches, gourmet burgers, or their Greek salad, which is actually a favorite among visitors. All right, Greg. I have not been on skis or a snowboard for quite some time now. So why would you encourage people, young, old, experienced, inexperienced, to visit Granite Peak Ski Area this winter? You know, skiing is such a it's a great sport. It, it really is. It, it's something that is cherished by families and generations. We often see, you know, parents and grandparents and third generations of kids out on our slopes every day. We have a wonderful ski and snowboard school here that offers a, a wide variety of different lesson programs, whether it's a group lesson or a private lesson in which you have a one-on-one -on -one instructor. On weekends, we offer you know kids adventure camps, which are two-hour long programs or full-day programs that include lunch for, for our little kids that are out there that are learning. So we're looking forward to welcoming back all of our littles out there because it, it really is... Uh, quite fun to see hundreds of kids out on the slopes with our ski school. I think you're really hitting on what makes Wisconsin's outdoor recreation so amazing and so accessible for people. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner, if you're picking up an old hobby, or if you're experienced. We have great options for all different skill levels and abilities. We've got lessons uh, and we've got other activities to just make it a great itinerary and make some memories. Greg and Amanda, thank you so much for joining me for Wandering Wisconsin. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Becky. I appreciate it. Happy holidays. Greg Fisher is the general manager of the Granite Peak Ski Area. Amanda Weibel is the communications officer for Travel Wisconsin. They both spoke with Lake Effect's Becky Mortensen for our Wandering Wisconsin series. And that wraps up today's show. Thank you so much for being here with us. I'm Joy Powers. If you missed any of today's conversations, or if you'd like to take Lake Effect on the go, download our podcast. Search for Lake Effect wherever you get your podcasts to listen to all of our shows on demand. Tomorrow on Lake Effect, we'll learn about the uptick in bird flu cases that have been reported in Wisconsin and what it means for you. Plus, in our latest episode of Live at Lake Effect, we'll hear a blend of folk, bluegrass, Cajun, and country blues from Daniel Rodriguez. That's all tomorrow at noon, right here on Lake Effect, on listener-supported 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. PR.